Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism with Roy Shoman. Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, I, I uh, guess every show, in a way, is a is a different show and uh, is different. But today's show is also going to be different because I want to weave together several things in today's show. One is the um, fact that today is the feast of the martyrs of Compiègne, and I want to talk about them. But today is also on the Jewish calendar. It is Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, which is also a very significant day. It's a tremendously significant day on the Jewish calendar, and maybe even less familiar to um, most of you than the um, feast of the martyrs of Martien, Excuse me, of Compiègne. So, I will start with talking about Tisha B'Av, and also, by the way. Um, I am not going to stress this because, actually, of rather obvious reasons, when you get right down to it, but it's also a, a significant day, an interesting day, because of the um, because yesterday um, Pope Francis came out with a very significant motu proprio, which um, changed the context in which the uh, Tridentine Mass is celebrated in the church. And I will leave it to the listener to decide whether that ties in at all with the fact that it's Tisha B'Av. But um, let me start with Tisha B'Av. Now, Tisha B'Av, that's just Hebrew for the ninth of Av. And why is it significant in the Jewish calendar is because it's actually it is the day of ultimate disasters, spiritual disasters and temporal disasters for the Jewish people. Um, it started, actually the story started uh, all way back in Exodus with the exile, excuse me, with the, um, for when the Jews were in Egypt and they escaped from Egypt and they were crossing the desert to go to the promised land um, and they got to the promised land. They got to the borders of Israel in about two or three weeks from Egypt. But as you know, they spent 40 years wandering the desert. And the reason why they spent 40 years wandering the desert rather than only three weeks crossing the desert to get to Israel is um, largely because of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, and what they did on the ninth of Av. So let me um, uh, turn to that story. It's in Numbers uh numbers well actually this is interesting it's in numbers chapter 13 um okay um where um the the israelites arrived at the borders of canaan which was going to become israel and they sent in spies to see what the enemy or what was going to be the enemy in in Canaan was like and to scout out the territory before they came in with all you know one and a half million 
Israelites or whatever it was. It was 600,000 men plus women and children. So I would imagine it was a good one and a half million. So they sent in spies from each of the 12 tribes to survey the land. The spies came back after 40 days and gave their interpretation to the children of Israel. And we read in Numbers 13, quote, We arrived at the land to which you sent us, and indeed it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They had brought back grapes, huge grapes, so a bunch of grapes were needed to be carried on a pole between two men. But the people that dwell in the land are powerful. The cities are very greatly fortified. And we also saw there the offspring of the giant. That basically, the spies came back and said, the people in the land of Canaan are so large that compared to them, we look like grasshoppers. And the quote, this is now a quote from the next verse uh, in Numbers, the entire assembly raised up and issued its voice. The people wept that night. They despaired of entering the land that was to be Israel, the land that was theirs, uh, because of these giants that dwelt therein. And then, as a punishment, God decreed that the children of Israel would wander in the desert for 40 years, one year for each day the spies had spied out the land. Because the people of Israel did not trust the Lord that the Lord would give them the land, but they got scared in a, you know, kind of seeing things through worldly eyes that this is impossible and they didn't have faith in God. And therefore they decided they could not attack the Canaanites and enter the land. And they said, we're not going to do it. Woe be to us and wept. And in retribution, the Lord said, essentially, quote, this is what it says now in the Talmud. God said, you wept in vain, but I will establish this date for you as a time of real weeping for all generations. So that is, in a sense, the origin of the Tisha B'Av, the fact that this one date on the calendar was then the date of all of the great catastrophes that befell the Jewish people. Um, I don't want to say starting with, but we can go through some of them. In 587 B.C., the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. Now, that was the biggest disaster that hit the Jews. Um, I don't want to say ever. Maybe you could say ever. The destruction of the temple in 587 BC. It happened on Tisha B'Av. And then, of course, they eventually rebuilt the temple, which was then destroyed about 40 years after the crucifixion of Christ, about 70 AD, where the second temple was destroyed by the Romans under the leadership of Titus. And what day on the Jewish calendar did that happen? It was again the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av. Then the Jews um, started another revolt in 135 AD, which was crushed on what day in 135 AD? On Tisha B'Av. When was, and then a year later, the Romans built a pagan temple on the Temple Mount, where the second temple had been, and uh, an idol was erected in that temple. And what day of the calendar was that? It was Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. And then we can go through more modern history, let's say. In 1290, the edict was signed on Tisha B'Av that expelled all Jews from England. In 1492, 
all of the Jews were expelled from Spain on Tisha B'Av. Um, and uh, in 1914, in fact, World War I began on Tisha B'Av. In 1940, Himmler presented his plan for the final solution to the Jewish problem, to the Nazi party on Tisha B'Av. And in 1942, the deportation of the Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto occurred on Tisha B'Av. And one can go through history and find other disasters that befell the Jewish people on the 9th of Av. And uh, the Jewish understanding is that it was all related to the um, failure of the children of Israel to trust God's promise to enter Israel and weeping needlessly on that date, the 9th of Av or Tisha B'Av. And therefore the Lord said, I will establish this date for you as a time of real weeping for all generations. So that's why Tisha B'Av is Tisha B'Av. And it is a day of mourning. Um, it is a day of fasting. In particular, of the Kohanim, of the uh, priestly caste of Jews. Uh, let me uh, back up a little bit, lest I get too confusing. Uh, the Jewish calendar is not in perfect sync with the calendar that we use. The Jewish calendar is what's called the lunar calendar. The first of the month is always on the new moon. And therefore, the um, our calendar is not synchronized to the lunar phases, to the phases of the moon, but rather it's strictly synchronized to the uh, progress of the earth around the sun. You know, the, the, um, the Jewish calendar is primarily synchronized to the phases of the moon and only occasionally readjusted to keep it in approximate um, uh, synchronization with the progress of the earth around the sun. So, that, so the Tisha B'Av, the date of the 9th of Av, can occur, it's actually quite early this year, uh, occurring in the middle of July. Um, it usually occurs in the month of August. So um, anyway, the it's the most mournful time of the year. No weddings are permitted um, during the period leading up to three weeks prior to Tisha B'Av and Tisha B'Av. Um, and uh, for the nine days leading up to Tisha B'Av, uh, one is not supposed to cut one's hair or shave as a sign of mourning. And um, according to the Talmud, one, <laughs> excuse me for saying this, I'm just citing the Talmud, Jews are not supposed to wash their clothes during this three-week period because wearing clean clothes is somewhat a celebratory and so forth. And Tisha B'Av itself is a full fast day. And during the evening service on Tisha B'Av, the Book of Lamentations is read. We read it, actually, uh, we being Catholics, read it in the Tenebrae service leading up to Good Friday. It's that section in the Old Testament that is full of mourning, bewailing the destruction of Jerusalem. So that is basically, I guess, a little... Um, uh, a little synopsis of Tisha B'Av and the ninth of Av. As I said at the outset of the show, um, well, let me 
say it another way, which is there certainly are the, 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 uh, the, the members of the Catholic community who are attached to the celebration according to the old rite are certainly in a bit of a period of mourning right now because it looks like um, the um, celebration of that rite is going to be uh, limited more than it has been in the past. So there's a little symbolic Tisha B'Av, at least for that subsection of the Catholic community right now. Now, it's also the um, memorial today. It's funny to call it a feast day, but it really is a feast day of the martyrs of Compiègne. And that is one of the most beautiful martyrdom stories. All martyrdom stories are incredibly beautiful. I suppose comparatives are kind of odious in that respect. But it is a very beautiful martyrdom story. And um, it's also relevant to our time. Um, oh, let me just... Um, uh, by the way, I, I just want to back up a little bit. Um, yes, the 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 uh, edict about the celebration of the Tridentine Rite took place on Friday, which is not Tisha B'Av, of course. Tisha B'Av begins this evening, the Saturday evening this year. However, the first Sunday, the first Sunday, which falls under the edict, when there would have been in some places perhaps more traditional masses, is in fact the day of Tisha B'Av, because the Jewish holidays run from sundown to sundown. Anyway, enough of that. Um, so, um, the Discalced Carmelite Martyrs of Compiègne. Now, one reason why this story is worth, well, it's worthwhile because it's martyrs, but one reason it is perhaps relevant to our day is because they were martyred during the French Revolution. The French Revolution was an assault against basically Christianity, assault against Christ, assault against the Catholic Church. I know that in our secular culture, um, we are kind of taught that it was fraternity, liberty, equality, fraternity. But really, when you look at the history of it, it was really a uh, eradication of the monarchy, but also an eradication of the Catholic Church to the extent that the revolutionary government in France, for instance, changed the calendar so that there wouldn't be seven-day weeks, because as long as there were seven-day weeks, those Christian fanatics could remember what day Sunday was. So they changed the uh, week to be 10 days long, so it would be very hard to know what day was a Sunday. They slaughtered tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of uh, priests and nuns essentially on, on site, unless they uh, basically apostatized and agreed that um, the church was not the uh, ultimate religious authority in France, essentially, but that the secular government was and so forth. It was a very, very, very a time that was very, very hostile to Christianity and very hostile to Christ and very hostile to God. A lot of sacrilege, a lot of uh, desecration, um, a lot of, as I said, slaughter of religious. And in that context, we have the Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne. I'm going to read their story in a moment. But the reason I'm saying this now, of course, is because we are seeing a um, a trend in society, frankly, almost around the world, that is minimizing the role of Christianity and limiting the rights of Christians, actually, to um, to follow Christianity when you get right down to it. 
we had um, many places over the last 18 months or so of the of the uh, response to COVID-19 in which churches, uh, frankly, uh, masses were shut down. Churches weren't allowed to celebrate mass or more, no more than a tiny trickle of people were allowed to attend mass, even though hundreds could go to Walmart and hundreds could go to, um, you know, to go into large stores, uh, liquor stores would be open, marijuana shops would be open, but Catholic churches would be closed and so forth by law sometimes, by state edict and so forth. That was clearly a persecution of the church. Um, we don't have it in the United States yet, but we have it in other Christian countries or once Christian countries or Catholic countries like Canada and Scandinavia, where should one preach from the Old or New Testament, about um, God's laws with respect to sexual morality, and in particular with respect to the difference between male and female and the restriction of sexual activity to activity between one of each, um, then you are actually subject to a jail sentence. And there have been Protestant pastors in Scandinavia who have been sent to jail for basically reading, reading Bible verses. So we certainly see... It hasn't reached the scope of the uh, French Revolution, of course, but we see this, let's say, the spirit of the French Revolution rearing its head. And that's another reason to, um, to consider the story of the Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne. So I've been talking nonstop here for a long time, a mile a minute. So let me take a deep breath and say, Believe it or not, this is a call-in program. It's a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279, which um, spells out 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And if you wish to call, uh, you please call in. And if a call comes in, I will stop my talking and take the call and answer any questions or comments you have. Although I will say that the if the questions or comments are relevant to the material in the show, that's kind of a plus. So anyway, the number is 866-333-6279. My name is Roy Shoman. You're listening to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria on this feast day of the Carmelite Martyrs of Compiègne. And we've been talking, and it's also the eve of Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av. So we've been talking about this um, uh, mass murder of the 16 Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne in, in 1794. Um, and the tragedy and the multiple tragedies of the Tisha B'Av and the state of the world we're living in. And I've been trying to kind of weave them all together. So let me read an account. It's a, it's a bit of a lengthy account, but it's a very worthwhile account of the martyrdom of the 16 discalced Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne in 1794, which is right at the tail end of the French Revolution. In fact, it's not coincidence. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. The French Revolution essentially ended 10 days after the martyrdom of those 16 nuns who gave their lives for 
the restoration of the church in France. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that their sacrifice is what brought about the end of the French Revolution. Um, so let me uh, just read this account. There was something eerie in the air as the carriages passed through the streets of Paris um, that day. It was too eerie th that day to the place of the guillotine. It was, in fact, too eerie that the normally noisy and violent crowd was in a respectful silence such as never has had been seen throughout the revolution. No rotten fruit was thrown. No insult was raised on the condemned women and men. That evening, one only heard the ethereal chanting of 16 discalced Carmelite nuns on their way to death. Um, at around eight in the evening, after a ride of two hours, the carriages finally arrived at the place of execution. A hard stench of rotting flesh from the common graves in nearby Picpus and of putrefying blood beneath the scaffold greeted them. The crowd remained reverently silent. The Carmelites have finally come face to face with the dreaded guillotine. Led by their courageous prioress, Mother Teresa of St. Augustine, they sang the Christian hymn of praise, You are God, we praise you. You are the Lord, we acclaim you. You are the Eternal Father, all creation worships you. That is the Te Deum, the chant that's a part of the church liturgy. The glorious company of apostles praises you. The noble fellowship of prophets praises you. The white-robed army of martyrs praises you. They were about to become members of the white-robed ar army of martyrs. By the way, they were dressed. They were uh, still dressed in their habits. Many historians agree that the 20th century traces its foundations to the events that shook France from 1789 to 1795. With the rising of the masses, um, no, I, I'll skip that part, it's, it's sociological. The 21 nuns of the Carmel of the Annunciation, okay, <laughs> this account is now jumping back in time. It began with the scene of them going to their place of execution and singing the Te Deum as they went up to the scaffold. Now it's going back to the time of their arrest, essentially. Um, the 21 nuns of the Carmel of the Annunciation externally appeared unperturbed by the commotion outside the walls of their monastery. They continued with a routine life that had been followed by their predecessors since the monastery was established 150 years earlier. They were composed of 15 choir nuns, three lay sisters and one choir novice. The nuns came from every social stratum of French society. The, um, now, so they were all nuns. The constituent assembly provisionally suspended the profession of vows in all monasteries on 29th of October, 1789. In other words, they would not allow any religious to take any more religious vows after that date. On the 12th of July, 1790, the National Assembly implemented the civil constitution of the clergy, 
Among its articles was a provision for the suppression of the monastic orders and the liberation of monks and nuns who would renounce their vows. On the 15th of August, interesting, isn't it? That's the Feast of the Assumption. The members of the Directory of Compiègne, in other words, the government officials in charge, came to the monastery to interrogate each nun and offer her liberty. The unanimous reply of the religious was to remain and keep their vows. Some of the nuns made their declarations more vivid. And here are some of their quotes from them. For 56 years I have been a Carmelite. I desire to have the same number of years more to be consecrated to the Lord, Sister of Jesus Crucified. Sister Euphrasi said, I became a religious by my own will. I have made up my mind to go on wearing this habit, even if I have to purchase this joy with my own blood. Sister St. Francis Xavier, quote, A good spouse desires to remain with her husband. I do not wish to abandon my spouse. And finally, the uh, Sister Therese of the Heart of Mary, quote, If I will be able to double the bonds of my attachment to God, then with all my strength and zeal, I will do so. Um, anyway, then two weeks after Easter of 1792, the guillotine was installed in Paris, Everyone was talking about it, even in the Carmel of Compiègne, and everyone feared it. In September, about 1,400 enemies of the Republic, so-called, were killed during the infamous September Massacre. Among them were hundreds of priests who would not take the oath of um, allegiance, basically um, putting the revolutionary government above the Church. Um, a belief that they would be called to martyrdom someday prevailed in this Carmelite community. Between June and September of that year, Mother Therese Therese proposed that the community offer their lives to God with an act of oblation, quote, in order that the divine peace which Christ has brought to the world may be restored to the church and to the state. All promised to unite themselves to it. Except for two senior nuns who were trembling and fearful that their life would end with a bloody death and they withdrew from the community. However, before that day ended, they returned and they prostrated themselves before the prioress and tearfully asked forgiveness for their momentary weakness. All the nuns renewed the act until the very day of their death. On August 14, 1792, the convention ordered, that convention being the revolutionary government, ordered all French citizens receiving state pension to take the oath of liberty and equality, which required them to be faithful to the nation. Three days later, all religious houses were ordered vacated. Um, on the 19th of September, with the permission of their ecclesiastical superior, they all took the oath of liberty and fraternity. For two years, each community strove to continue being faithful to their regular observances. It was difficult to find a priest to celebrate the Eucharist. Nonetheless, the sisters faithfully recited the divine office at the appointed hours. 
the dynamism of the entire community was sustained by the daily renewal of the act of oblation and the tender care of Mother Therese. The situation worsened when Maximilian Robespierre and his henchmen, the radical and fanatical Jacobins, came into power during the summer of 1793. Along this was institutionalized the infamous Reign of Terror. It not only apprehended and punished with death those who refused to be conscripted into the army, but also anyone suspected of any unpatriotic behavior or thoughts. By the way, I I, um, would suggest that we can see harbingers of that in our own society today where um, people, uh, people are subjected to to um, judicial action, let's say, for harboring the wrong thoughts. Anyway, uh, which are interpreted as being unpatriotic in a very subjective way. Anyway, within its brief one year and one month existence, over 300,000 were imprisoned, of whom 50,000 were executed. Anticlericalism reached its apex, and later the, revo- the revolution began to take the guise of a religion. First, there was the abolition of the Gregorian calendar. That's what I mentioned. The weeks were made into 10 days. The, name, the months were changed, all to prevent or to make it extremely difficult to keep celebrating the Christian calendar. Then churches were turned into temples of reason and intentionally uh, blasphemed and and sacrileged. Next, the clergy were ordered to marry. And finally, Robespierre established a cult of the supreme being in an attempt to totally de-Christianize France. There we have the the forerunner of the um, one one world religion. Anyway, In March of 1794, that year, Sister Marie and Sister Teresa of this convent went to Paris for some business, and while there, the two nuns were by chance in the streets when the carriages carrying those to be guillotined passed before them. Sister Marie tried to get Mother Teresa to avoid the sight. However, the prioress refused to move, saying, My good sister, allow me the sad consolation of seeing how martyrs go to their death. Sister Maria Marie later wrote that two of the condemned fixed a deep gaze on them as though to say, soon you will follow us. Now, I've come to the halfway point in the program already, which I usually uh, take a break around halfway through the show to um, uh, for a short musical interlude and also to take any calls that come in during the break. So um, I will do so now. You're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. And we've been celebrating, so to speak, simultaneously the 9th of Av, the, the Jewish memorial of the great disasters that befell the Jewish people, and uh, the Martyrs of Compiègne, which celebrates a great disaster that befell some Catholic nuns, but with the light of Catholicism, with the light of true religion, we understand 
that what appeared to worldlings as a great disaster was really their great victory. They're winning the martyr's crowns and being escorted into the presence of our beloved, blessed Lord and Lady and all of the saints of heaven on that glorious day. So we see in that contrast also the contrast between, um, how can I put this, religion without the victory of the resurrection and religion with the victory of the resurrection. And with that, I will go to the short musical break. Now, what am I going to play is the Salve Regina, because in fact, one of the hymns that the nuns, the martyrs of Compiègne, were chanting, singing on their way to the guillotine was the Salve Regina. So with that, let's go to that. And if you wish to call in during this break, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY. And if there are any calls, I will go to the call board following the musical break and take them before resuming the account. So with that, let's go to the chant of the Salve Regina. Salve Regina Mater
Okay. Well, I, I hope you um, enjoyed that. I certainly did. Whoops. Sorry. But um, anyway, no calls came in, so I will continue with the account of the Martyrs of Compiègne. So we're now in uh, June of 1794, and the events begin to unroll. Of course, they were martyred on uh, July 17th of 1794, which is why today is their feast day. So we're now about six weeks before their martyrdom. And um, the uh, authorities had come to their monastery and had searched it and seized all their papers. And they found a portrait of the uh, guillotine king, which is not surprising. And um, they considered this seditious and evidence of their disloyalty and that they were traitors. And they began their very active persecution of the convent. I will, I will uh, give more details of that. Um, anyway, it was clear that the days at that point were numbered. The youngest member of the community, um, her, let's see, how old would she have been? She would have been 20... Um, a little over 20. Um, well, I see we have a caller, so I will um, take the call. Uh, are you there, caller? Hello? Hmm. Um, I, I, I don't hear the caller. I don't know if that is because she, the caller is no longer there or because of my technical difficulties. Oh, let's see. Um, anyway, if the caller is there and, uh, oh no. Okay. Okay, well, the caller left, so I will go back. Anyway, at that point, the parents of the youngest member of the convent urged her to return home so that she wouldn't obviously end up at the guillotine. Her response was, I thank my parents as if out of love they fear the danger that may befall me, yet nothing except death can separate me from my mothers and sisters. And... Um, the uh, another of the sisters was asked to um, actually join a um, to um, attach herself to a very high-ranking princess, and she responded, "Madame, even if your highness would offer me the crown of France, I would prefer to remain in this house." where the good God placed me and where I found the means of salvation, which I would not find in the house of your highness. Anyway, on the 23rd of June, the 16 nuns were imprisoned in a former uh, convent of visitation nuns. And the following day, the Carmelites retracted before the town mayor the oath of liberty and equality, which they had made, thus signing their own death warrant. Then that was followed by a three-week imprisonment, which was extremely harsh, uh, very bad food and very little of it, a few straws on a bare floor for their beds. They were forbidden to communicate with each other. 
Um, they w were not allowed to have any fresh clothing, but they were also not allowed to wash their soil clothes and so forth. It was a very uh, difficult um, imprisonment. And then they were called on the 12th of July, they were called to Paris to appear before the Revolutionary Committee. The caravan arrived at the uh, Revolutionary Committee the, uh, between three and four in the afternoon of the following day, with their hands still behind, with their hands still tied behind them. The sisters went down one by one from the carriage and stood standing in the prison courtyard. However, the oldest, Sister Charlotte, who was 80 years old, was deprived of her crutch, and with no one to assist her, she could not descend from the cart. An impatient soldier jumped aboard and callously threw her upon the paving stones where she laid motionless. Fearing that he had killed her, the soldier lifted up the old nun whose face was covered with blood. She told him, Believe me, I am not angry with you. On the contrary, I thank you for not having killed me, for if I had died in your hands, I would have been deprived of the joy and glory of martyrdom. Um, and then um, uh, there, was a, there was a short wait before their trial, and around 9 a.m. on the 17th of July, the 16 were brought to the courtroom of liberty, where the Revolutionary Tribunal performed its functions. I will point out to you the uh, irony of it being called the courtroom of liberty, when in fact, of course, it was anything but that. And I will point out that it is a, it is a fingerprint of the one who was a liar from the beginning, the enemy of sal man's salvation, to title things which with these ironic titles that are the exact opposite of what is going on. It's one of the hallmarks of, um, of uh, Satan. Anyway, so they were brought to the courtroom, so-called courtroom of liberty. They were led before the three judges and um, the Reign of Terror's public prosecutor who read the act of accusation. Um, they are more than a band, an assembly of rebels with criminal hope of seeing the French people return to the chains of tyrants and to the slavery of bloodthirsty priests who are impostors as well. That was the concluding speech of the public prosecutor, uh, that these nuns were an assembly of rebels with the criminal hope of seeing the French people return to the chains of tyrants and to the slavery of bloodthirsty priests who are impostors as well. Um, Sister Mary Aunt, uh, Henriette did not fail to ignore, well, she did not ignore the phrase that the prosecutor used accusing them of fanatical puerility and she asked the prosecutor to explain what he meant and his answer was what I mean is your attachment to your childish beliefs your stupid religious practices she then turned to the other nuns and said to them my dear mother and sisters let us rejoice in the Lord for this we are going to die for the cause of our holy religion our faith our reliance in the Holy Roman 
Catholic Church. Um, and uh, then the Mother Superior said that there was nothing incriminating in the evidence that they had seized from their convent. And then she said, uh, at most, if there is, it should be considered as a crime of mine, not of the community, um, because the rule forbids our sis the sisters from making any correspondence without the permission of their superior. If therefore you must have a victim, here she is. It is I alone whom you must strike. My sisters are innocent. They are your accomplices, was the blunt reply of the presiding judge. And in the end, the 16 were convicted as enemies of the people. The sentence was given death by guillotine. The nuns received their penalty with serenity and joy. Um, the mother superior, uh, however, fainted due to fatigue, lack of sleep and nourishment. Uh, when she regained consciousness, she asked pardon for her weakness and assured the others that she was ready to be faithful to the end. The sentence was to be completed that same evening. The community was praying the office for the dead when they were summoned. The nuns bade farewell to the other prisoners, among them a devout Catholic named Blot. She said, how the, um, the mother superior said, How come our dear blood is crying? Rather, you should rejoice to see us at the end of our trials. Recommend us well to the good God and the most holy virgin, that they may assist us in these final hours. We will pray for you when we are in heaven. Cloaked in their white mantles and with hands bound at their backs, the sixteen recollectedly boarded the carriages that would bring them to the place where the guillotine awaited them. Along the way, priests who were disguised as revolutionaries gave them absolution. The journey was long, but the air was permeated by their solemn chants, singing as they did in choir, including the Hail Holy Queen that we heard during the break, Salve Regina. The guillotine had been standing for more than a month already on the square, Upon arriving there, one of the sisters, oh, oh, uh, okay, I see we have a caller. Um, uh, are you on the line, caller? Uh, yes, I am, Roy. Thank you. Uh, hello, uh, your name, please? Yes, hello, Roy. Uh, the name is uh, Alex. Okay, did you have a comment or a question? Um, yes. Um, I believe uh, yesterday also uh, was the date of the Great Schism. Uh, yes, in 1054. That, that's correct. Correct. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, rather, this uh, time in July is uh, very, uh, very much uh, marked with uh, tremendous uh, sorrows for the Church, indeed. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I uh, you know, there may be a, uh, a subtext to uh, the, the coincidences of what's going on right now. Um, yes. uh, as uh, Jesus told us, the signs of the times are to be watched. Uh, yes. However, that's an all, all the more reason 
to uh, focus on the martyrs because what looks like bad news to worldly eyes might be very, very good news. Um, and the very worst thing that's going to happen on earth is going to is going to culminate in the second coming, which in some sense is the best thing that ever happens. Right? Yes. So, so your readings today are very, very, very appropriate, and I appreciate everything you do in your ministry. Well, thank, thank you, thank you very much. I don't want to leave the poor sisters on the on the scaffold. <laughs> I want to let them let them get to heaven before the end of the hour. So I'll leave you now. But thank you very much for your call. Great. God bless you. God bless. Thanks. Um, okay. Anyway, so um, uh, one of the younger sisters, when she arrived on the scaffold, accused herself before the mother superior of not having finished her divine office. The prioress told her, Be strong, daughter. You will finish it in paradise. At the foot of the scaffold, the prioress asked the executioner if she might die last so that she could encourage and support her sisters. This time her requests were granted. They sang once more, invoking the Holy Spirit, Creator Spirit come. Afterward, they all renewed their religious vows. The ceremony completed. One sister was overheard saying, Oh my God, I am just too happy if this little sacrifice calms your wrath and lessens the number of victims. One by one, from the youngest to the oldest, the nuns were called to the scaffold. Um, Sister Constance mounted the scaffold singing the psalm. The nuns chanted daily to announce their coming into the house of God. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Her sisters followed. Acclaim him, all you peoples. Strong is his love for us. He is faithful forever. All the sisters followed the example of the novice. They each went to their deaths, joining the song of those waiting for their turn. When the blade of the guillotine snuffed out their lives one by one, the chorus progressed into a decrescendo. As she ascended the scaffold, Sister of Jesus Crucified was assisted by the assistance of the executioner. My friend, she told them, I forgive you with all my heart as I desire forgiveness from God. Finally, only one voice was left, the Mother Superior. Having seen 15 of her daughters precede her to the scaffold, Mother Therese followed them to the guillotine. At the 16th thud, there was nothing left but silence. On that day, it was said, more than one religious vocation was born, and just as many conversions took place. Ten days later, amidst cacophonous shouts and screams, an infuriated and disillusioned crowd led a man to his death on the guillotine. Down with the tyrant, they cried. This time, it was the turn of Maximilian Robespierre. More than a week later, the public prosecutor who condemned the sisters followed his fate on the very same instrument where he had sent thousands to their deaths. And with the inglorious end of these two died also the reign of terror. The decree on the martyrdom of Sister Therese of St. Augustine and her 16 companion martyrs was promulgated on June 24, 1905, and they were beatified on the 17th of May, 
1906. So there we have a brief account of the 16 martyrs of um, martyrs of Compiègne, um, the 16 Discals Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne. There were, of course, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of um, faithful, devout Catholics martyred during the French Revolution for their fidelity to the church, for their fidelity to Christ. There were many, many religious. There was a, a monastery of Carthusians in Paris who were martyred. There were uh, virtually all of the priests who refused to take the oath, essentially oath of supremacy of the church and Mary were martyred. There were so many <clears throat> priests and religious being martyred that it was uh, too much for the normal system and the revolutionary authorities instituted mass drownings. They were called noyades where they would pack barges with condemned religious and tow them out to the middle of the Loire River and sink them. And the religious would be bound hand and foot, so they obviously could not swim, and they would be drowned. As a matter of fact, in a further act of hatred of the Holy Roman Catholic Church and of the laws of God and of religious celibacy, because we see a tremendous hatred of religious celibacy wherever we see the working of Satan, which in itself should make us suspect that there's something very, very, very pleasing to God in religious celibacy and the consecration of that faculty to God. And out of their hatred of it, one of the things they used to do was perform what they mockingly called, I believe, revolutionary marriages, where they would strip the priest naked, they would strip a nun naked, and they would actually tie them together with ropes when they took them out on the barges and drowned them so that they would uh, be drowned in what was apparently, certainly a, a state of immodesty and what was uh, apparently a state of unchastity, although it wasn't really. The hatred of God and the hatred of the Catholic Church was clearly at the center of the French Revolution, as it is uh, clearly at the center of all of the um, all of the large-scale attacks on Western Christian civilization, uh, even unto our own day. And with that, before I get into any more trouble, I think it's time to end the show. I've come to the end of the hour. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria, with me, your host, Roy Shoman. Let us pray. Let us pray for the intercession of the uh, Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne. Let us pray for the intercession of all of the martyrs of the French Revolution, of all of the martyrs of the Bolshevik Revolution, of all of the martyrs throughout the last century and a half that died in the face of um, this Republican liberty I don't know what to call it, but this um, attempt to overthrow, overthrow the, what is essentially Christendom in favor of a uh, secular permissiveness. And let us pray to them that they may intercede and give us the strength to remain faithful to Christ, faithful to the church, 
and faithful to God to our ends in heaven. Amen. Bye for now. Please join me again next week, same time, same place, for Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, uh, with me, your host, Roy Showman, on Radio Maria. And as I go out, we'll go out again with a Salve Regina that the sisters so beautifully sang on their way to their martyrdom. Bye for now. Oh,